Welcome to the Metal Hammer Podcast, episode 71. I'm Mo and I'm here with Owen Alice. How the devil are you both? Excited. Good. Excited? That's good. What are you excited about? Well, it's just been a really good week for live music, as I'll talk about. And it's Ramstein on Saturday. It is Ramstein on Saturday. The ridiculously big geek, geek geeks. We're the big geeks. The ridiculously big geeks <laughs> keep on coming. Uh, speaking of which, I went to Glastonbury this past weekend. You did. I certainly did. Can you tell us all about it? <laughs> I'm sure glad you asked me to, because that's exactly what I was going to do, by golly. Um, yeah, uh, I, I mean, I've been going to Glastonbury for as a uh, full adult punter. I went a couple of times as a kid, um, but I've been going to Glastonbury. You were a kid? Yeah, my parents took me. That's amazing. When I was... Uh, well, I can work this out November, December, January, February, March, April, May, June Seven months old What? That's yeah. insane I was small enough so that my dad took me on one of those little carry things That you put to the front of your That, that, that you wear super cool. <laughs> you want me on a little baby rucksack Oh, <laughs> first gig Yeah, exactly um, But I've been going as an, as an adult uh, As it were Or at least in my own accords For about 16 years now And um it's it really is so cool to be going to somewhere like Glastonbury and seeing metal there. Um, obviously, they had the Napalm, they had the um, the earache stage there in two thousand and seventeen, and that was really cool. And they had some bands kind of tucked away in there. Uh, they had uh, horror and um, uh, a few others in there. They had Napalm Death on the outdoor stage. Um, this year, the metal uh, the earache stage, as it were was called Scum and it was um, it was all just done I mean it was done great the first time but it felt really tucked away and hidden last time you know which is understandable because it's the first time they'd, first time they'd done all that kind of stuff this time they had this big um, red uh, what's it called the bit on the back of a lorry like the trailer I guess mm. not the yeah, bit the person's like driving the in the actual things I think it's that called the, a bed a bed I think so really I thought it was. You, you know that bit I mean? If some, if like, not the bit someone's <laughs> driving in, the bit that actually everything's stored in on the back of the I thought it was like the cab and the bed. Okay. But I don't know. We'll go with that then. Someone can write in and tell us. They had a giant lorry bed uh, <laughs> painted with scum written on it in really heavy metal writing in the middle of Shangri-La. Uh, I said a couple of weeks ago, Shangri-La is kind of like, um, I mean, if you've been to Glastonbury, it's, I mean, it must be at least 20 times the size of download. Like, it's, it's so, so big. Shangri-La is its own dedicated little area. It's got these kind of arty, cool installations and colourful, like, indoor club areas you can go into and outdoor club areas. It's kind of where the, um, like, the uh, basically where punters go to find the best place to just party after the main bands have finished. It's pretty much a 24-hour area. I don't think it closes there um, at any point. Uh, so it's a weird place for the, the, this, these kind of little pockets of metal to be. And the scum stage, like I said, is is tucked away behind this big um, red trailer that they've got, uh, just parked in the middle of Shangri-La. So you can't really miss the trailer. And then if you see the trailer, you can kind of go in. Um, so I got to Glastonbury on the Thursday. It was baking hot. Uh, most of the festival had already been there and active for a day or two by that point. Um, settled down, chilled out with some friends for a bit and then made a beeline for the scum stage to see Employed to Serve. They were playing on the little indoor bit I just mentioned. Um, and I'd say it was probably about three, two or three hundred capacity, something like that. I'd say a bit bigger than the um, the Barfly used to be in London, yeah. that kind of size. 
Um, and it was the only bit, it seemed to be the only bit in the whole fucking festival that had mud in it. <laughs> like, the rest of the ground was beautiful and green and lush, and then you went inside the one little metal bit, and it was, like, muddy and sticky. I was like, for fuck's sake, man. And it was called Scum, obviously. Uh, so, yeah, Employed to Serve came on at about, um, oh, I can't remember what it was now, about 10pm or something like that, maybe a bit later. And you could tell that there was a mixture of metalheads who were excited to be there, rock fans who obviously knew that it was, like, a rock gig, um, so they wanted to check it out and just total randomers who had no idea what was going on I love that it was really I cool I love that people could just stumble into it and have no idea what they're going to see or no idea what is hitting them yeah it was wicked and and again it's something I'll probably get into a bit more when I talk about Gajira but um, having been to Glastonbury all these years and obviously having been to metal gigs for all these years there was something really really refreshing and fun about seeing metal bands in just a place that doesn't quite feel right um, not so much if there's no one there, but in this case, the, the, the room was packed out. People were excited to be there. Um, the band came on. Justine just said, we are employed to serve fuck the killers and just burst into like... <laughs> uh, fuck the killers. Yeah, it was so good because the killers were headlining the main stage, the pyramid stage on Saturday night. Um, and yeah, they were just great. I, uh, they've had this for a while, but I love the kind of matching like, uh, I don't know what you call them, like almost like shell suit tops that they've got. Do you know what I mean? What are those called? I, don't know what I feel called. very unlike a man of the world today. <laughs> I don't know what anything's fucking called. <laughs> a shell suit top. Like, yeah, kind of like matching shell suit top things, like black with a little employed serve logo on. So they just look cool. Um, the crowd was really into it. There were circle pits going around. Uh, Eternal forward motion sounded absolutely colossal. Um, they were just great. Really, really, really good. Oh, God. I just accidentally started playing some of that song. Hope we don't get sued for that. Um, but, yeah. Uh, review purposes it was review purposes exactly that was a little <laughs> bit of employed service ser- I just accidentally played because I was trying to remember what set they played but uh, they were just so so good um, the crowd was really into it you could see some quite bemused faces but I think you know Cl- Glastonbury has a bit of a negative reputation sometimes for the type of people that go there I think people look at the BBC One highlights and mm. just think it's all dappy blonde haired 21 year old women with like flower heads on just going oh I'm a Glastonbury taking selfies and being posh and all of that Uh, what are you going to say like the Coachella of exactly exactly I think people I mean I've never been to Coachella so I guess millennials doing acid and mushrooms exactly and And running around being like totes random and oh I'm such a festival person even though I'm actually staying in a posh teepee slightly off site (laughs) and there is a lot of that at Glastonbury there is but actually I think it was a really good example of how people aren't as close minded to metal as we often think they are Mm. And when you actually look at the crowd that was mulling about for Employed to Serve, the people that clearly didn't have a clue who they were were still appreciating it. And you had a couple of people that kind of like ironically headbanging and go, oh, Rocky. But um, 99% of the crowd in there was just really enjoying it. And that included people that had obviously not heard of them before. And that was great. And then, uh, uh, well, that night then I went on to see Denzel Curry, who was really cool. You love him. I do love him. He's very good. Although he, was, he only had half an hour uh, on one of the outdoor stages, so it wasn't quite as alternative and experimental as I hoped it might be. I don't mm. think he had much time to do stuff. Um, but yeah, Friday was kind of the bigger, the biggest day of metal for me because there was um, Entombed AD were on really late that night on the Scum stage. I didn't get to see them, but I did go and see Venom Prison and Gajira one after the other on the Truth stage. So 
So the truth stage is one of the outdoor stages in Shangri-La. Um, and I guess Earache, who put all the metal build together this year, um, get to nominate a couple of bands to play that stage as well. Uh, so Venom Pism played there, and it was about 9pm on the Friday night. Um, obviously, there's on the Friday, there's bands playing all the other big venues, and there's like 60 of them or something. Um, so the pyramid stage was active the second stage was active all the big tents were active so not as many people just kind of milling about and for a minute it looked like it was going to be like dead about 10 minutes before they came on there was like maybe 15 people kind of hung over the barrier and that was it in what is quite a big field like I'd say about 2,000 people sized field Um, and so I was a bit like oh no this isn't going to work but then uh, it crowded up a little bit more, so there's more people there, and then they actually came on, and Larissa just went, "We are Venom Prison, move the fuck up!" And like everyone kind of went, Ooh, and like rushed <laughs> into the front, um, and then it started to swell out and swell out more, and you could tell people were turning out to watch Kajira, who were on afterwards, and all of that kind of stuff. Um, and again, like in this case, devastatingly heavy set. They sounded awesome. Um, once more, you could tell people that didn't know what the fuck was going on seeing Larissa come out with those kind of like vocals yeah. I had a friend with me who's not into metal at all and that was his first he didn't come to employ to serve the night before it was his first ever metal gig um, and he was blown away like he had no idea what was going on he'd never seen a singer do that before yeah and I guess you have, like you're saying about people not knowing metal if you've never been to a metal gig you don't even know maybe what is possible vocally you no. don't know that metal fans like headbang and have mosh pits or yep. crowd surf yeah. There's just all these things we take for granted because we're just so used to them. But if you're a complete newcomer to metal, you'd be like, what is going on? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and he had no idea. And, you know, I think he was genuinely shocked that a woman would make a noise like that. Yeah. Like, because it's just not something that's on your radar if, you, if you're not familiar with bands like, you know, Arch Enemy and various others. Uh, but yeah, they, they were great. They went down really well. I think people really warmed to them. Like, again, Glastonbury's really a festival where people expect to see something a bit weird and outside of their comfort zone at some point and so people were really like, oh my god, this is so impressive and people were really like warm towards it and again, there were a lot of metalheads there, like, there were people who knew who they were or at least more familiar with that kind of music That is the nice thing about Glastonbury, I remember from going is that you do get primed to it, you walk around, you don't know what kind of people you're going to meet, you don't know what you're going to see you don't know what you're going to stumble across and the whole thing is sort of like the element of surprise so anything that happens you just kind of take it in your stride and you just enjoy yep. it which is a really nice atmosphere to be in and again not very common when it comes to metal there aren't many places where you can just kind of speak to a number of open-minded people who wouldn't usually listen to that kind of music so it's mm-hmm. actually a really cool thing and, and just as another way to kind of uh oh i forgot to say when in pl- <clears throat> just as another way to underline uh, what a weird atmosphere Glasgow is, especially now that it's got metal in it. Um, after employed to surf finish, I walked outside and literally across this tiny little, I guess, grassy avenue, you'd call it or whatever, the stage on the other side of this one tiny little bit, I'm literally a seven second walk away. Yeah. There's, this, there's this really good uh, drum and bass label called Hospital and they had this massive Hospital Records takeover and it was just this banging drum and bass rave with about a thousand people just Amazing. going next to it. Sounds really <laughs> weird. And then when Ben and Prison were playing, um, you know Craig Charles? 
Yeah. The Coronation Street actor. Yeah, so he yeah. does a really good, like, kind of soul and funk. I know him from Red set. Dwarf and, yeah. oh, of course. and Robot Wars. I can't believe I, I can't believe I said Coronation Street before I said Red Dwarf. And Robot Dwarf as well. Yeah, and Robot <laughs> Wars. I can't So, yeah, from uh, Red Dwarf, I should have said. Um, but uh, anyway, Living Legends and all that. But does a, does a, um, a funk set. And he DJed before Venom Prison came on, and he stood by the side of the stage and watched the whole set. And if you watch, uh, if you go on Venom Prison's Instagram, they actually got a photo with him. Afterwards. I've seen that. So picture. he was obviously impressed. I was like, "How did that even come about?" But it, now it, we we noticed it. him. We were like, "Is that <laughs> is that Craig Charles?" Like, um, so yeah, it was just unbelievable. Uh, just a really really cool mixed atmosphere. Um, Saturday, uh, I didn't see much in the metal vein. It was. I mean, bakingly hot. I basically hid the whole time until Chemical Brothers were But how do you hide? Because there's nowhere to hide. Well, there's the shady Harry Krishna tent. Yeah, the Harry Krishna tent. And also, (laughs) it's so big and it's got so many fields to it, you can go right up and away near the Stone Circle and all that and actually Mm. find, like, trees to hide under. Yeah, that's a really good point, actually. I forgot about the Stone Circle. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a big old place. Um, So, yeah, I didn't see much in the way of proper heavy stuff unless you count Chemical Brothers. On uh, on Saturday, should just shout out as well. There were so many tributes to Keith Flint across the weekend, That's and cool. it genuinely was quite emotional at points. Kems did a big tribute to him at the end of their set. Um, Liam Gallagher um, dedicated champagne supernova to him, and there were, there were, I saw people dressed like Keith Flint. I saw loads yeah. of murals that had been painted around the site. People had loads of flags. It was just a really, you know, it, it was sad because it just kept bringing to mind like what had happened but yeah. it was also nice because it just reminds you what an impact um, he's had on you know he had on alternative culture and music um, so that was very moving and again something that, quite, that felt sp- very specific to Glastonbury because the project played there for years they headlined in 97 you know yeah. um, so that, that was that was quite a, a, a moving thing that we saw across the weekend um, Sunday uh, Baby Metal and Bring Me The Horizon played yeah. the, uh, the other stage which it is actually called the other stage it's the second biggest stage at Glastonbury and I mean the actual size of the stage is about as big as Download I think so it's, it's, it's still a big, a big stage, old stage yeah. um, Baby Metal played um, I missed Slaves because I was packing my stuff in my mate's car and it took an hour to get back in <laughs> so that's Glastonbury uh, <laughs> but um, uh, yeah Baby Metal played about half past two in the afternoon uh, they had a really big crowd like really really impressive sized crowd I think Definitely, we're talking about um, Glastonbury being a good place for, um, you know, weird, slightly left of centre things to get a good reaction. And I think people probably have heard of Baby Metal. And yeah, I reckon it's the kind of band people probably heard a little bit about, but don't really know too much. Yeah, about. yeah, exactly. want to turn up and see what happens. And again, in the same way that people kind of saw what Larissa was doing and was just like, this is amazing, what what am I watching here? You could tell people just really warming to Baby Metal as the set went on. First couple of songs, people were like, what is this? Really, really <laughs> weird. Um, and then when they played uh, three tracks in they played the, the new track the untitled new track yeah which I don't know if that's out there or not but so I thought was amazing uh, I'm going to talk about that in a bit actually because I saw them last night okay cool yeah. what do you think of that track then because I Lo- thought it was great it. it's yeah. so bouncy so it's got this like dan 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 it's like really dancey and like I don't know I mean the one that I'm thinking of it just sounds like it's something from Bollywood. Yeah, def- no, definitely. Yeah, definitely. So it's really interesting. That's what I mean. It's got And they're all dancing to it. And actually, on the set list last night from Brixton, it's listed as Ind Metal. So I N D hyphen metal, uh, as in Indian metal. Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah. So it's, I think it's really fascinating how 
they do appropriate different bits of culture and they've sort of taken this from Bollywood and made like a sort of Bollywood metal song. It's so good not though. Not just Bollywood metal song, Bollywood Japanese metal song because it still sounds like yeah. baby metal and sounds like everything that they have going on. And they had a dance routine as well that's obviously like their normal kind of dance routines or with the sort of hand movements and stuff but it felt like it sort of had a bit more yeah. Bollywood kind of flow to Definitely. it. Definitely. And it, and it added it added the kind of um, it just made the whole set feel bouncier and so I think fun. that was where the crowd really started to get into it and then once people realised how good a singer Sue Metal is and yeah. how heavy some of the songs are I mean like uh, oh, I should. People definitely recognise "Give Me Chocolate." Yeah, like, there, yeah, was a, yeah. there was a bigger reaction for that than anything I mean, else. Like, and again, there were loads of metalheads there. They were like proper diehard, beardy, hairy dudes, like windmilling and headbanging in the crowd and all that. Um, but even the more casual fans definitely recognise "Give Me Chocolate." Yeah. And um, karate, like I love that song. That riff is it's still so one. heavy, and you could see people actually like physically react to it when the boom kicks in. But it's so it was bouncy great. as well. Yeah, but yeah, so I know what you mean. Like the drumming on that opening bit, like is really cool as well. It's like, great. Da, 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 they went down da, da, so so well, um, da, da, da. and I just thought, I keep saying this, but it's like it's such a it felt like such a wholesome gig. It reminded me of how just nice baby metal yeah. is as like a, an idea and stuff. People were really into it. People were really winning them on. Um, I think people were just really charmed by it. And I did, and I think in that kind of environment, I think baby metal are a really good ambassador for metal because it's just it just shows you how warm and fun and ridiculous it can be exactly and it's quite inclusive as well like obviously there's lots of easter eggs in baby metal's lore if you're a metal fan you'll find them elements of their show based on Metallica or Judas Priest or little bits of their songs that are nods to other metal bands but equally if you don't know metal they're just one of those bands that you can get into and easily access and it doesn't feel like you have to be from any kind of special niche community it just feels like something that you can sit down or stand up and enjoy without having any kind of knowledge or, or anything like that. It's yeah, exactly. I think people stuff. will definitely be going to check them out. Again, I, it was interesting because I watched them with a load of friends, um, some of whom into metal, some of whom are into metal but kind of checked out in about 2005 because they yeah. just got a bit older and stopped checking out new bands or whatever. Yeah. And everyone thought baby metal was really impressive. They were proper like, oh, what is this? This is crazy. I really like it. Um, so that was really good. And then Bring Me the Horizon came on after that. Uh, I should say both these bands aren't part of ear, weren't part of kind of earaches influence in booking any of the lineup. I don't think. I think they were just added of their own course, merit, which makes yeah. sense because Bring Me a Play before they're they're really big now, and Baby Metal are just an interesting Phenomenal. thing. Um, but it was cool because it did make it feel like metal had more of a presence overall at the festival, which is really wicked. Uh, and yeah, Bring Me were good. Um, I felt like uh, they were up against it because they clashed with Kylie Minogue. <laughs> Oh, no. Which is unusual, but Kylie's one of those things where I think if you happen to be somewhere she's playing, you're very unlikely to go buy a ticket for it, but it's Kylie Minogue will probably go see it. Absolutely. Just yeah. one of those things. So they had a, I would say maybe a slightly smaller crowd or at least the same size crowd of Baby Metal. Yeah. It wasn't small by any means, but it wasn't like massive. Yeah. Um, and yeah, they were really good. Obviously, we saw the show at All Points East a few weeks ago, so it was very much a, a set wise, slimmed down version of that. It was still cool. People seemed to react to it really well. Um, Did they have all the dancers and stuff? The what? The dancers. Uh, they had it all point seized. Like in the different costumes, kind of dancing around. and. They did, yes. <coughs> they did, yeah. Yeah. Which I still don't think fits. I don't know, I kind of like it. I, li- I like the idea, but it feels... I don't... I don't know. 
It feels a bit too contrived. And all stage sets are contrived, aren't they? Like, if you come up with some expansive, clever light show or pyro show, if you're Ramstein or Maiden or Metallica or whatever, like, it's contrived by its nature. But um, it just felt like, it feels like it's trying to be something that it quite it isn't quite yet. I don't know what it you, is. You it doesn't feel natural. feel like it's too try-hard. Like, we're going to put on a big pop show... Here's our big stage set. Yeah, yeah, it does. Whereas like stuff like the screens they have and, and all that kind of thing like, really fits with me with where the music's at now and I think it works really well and it looks amazing. But the dancers feel like this is what big bands do, so we should do it. And they're great, like they're really fucking good, but I don't know, I found that a bit odd. Uh, but apart from that, the rest of the set was good. Felt like Ollie might be, had a bit of a sore throat or something at one point. He sounded a bit um, throaty when he was talking to the crowd. Um, didn't notice him miming so much but definitely let um, Jordan. Jordan do a lot of the <laughs> yeah. heavy lifting on the clean vocals yeah he usually does but people seem to like it um, uh, one of my mates was blown over by it and they're like one of my favourite bands now so oh wow like, that's a convert it obviously works and it obviously uh, appeals to people who are into certain parts of music so yeah it works well I think they suit Glastonbury in terms of putting on a big show um, and the, you know there were still moments that were heavier than most other stuff you'll see on that festival that weekend not as heavy though as beyond the shadow of a doubt the best thing I saw all weekend um, which was on the Friday night so I did skip ahead a bit but Gajira on the true stage was fucking unbelievable they're so good right now and I know Al actually saw Gajira as well so she'll talk about that probably a bit more because they <laughs> had more of a show they did at Glastonbury Glastonbury again they've played the same set after Venom Prison um, the same stage sorry after Venom Prison so it was outdoor capacity about 2,000 people something like that um, and they were just so devastatingly heavy so devastatingly tight they had the steam cannons but that's the only thing they had from their show like they barely even had a light show they didn't have screens or anything so it just felt like I wouldn't go as far to say punk rock but it felt like really candid and just in your face and just like I love how it was just really fucking heavy cool. they are and how uncompromisingly heavy they are yeah. they just seem to love playing heavy music and there just isn't a let up they just go and play it with all that yeah exactly it, it was like, this is great and it just it definitely seemed to strike a chord with the crowd um, most of the people there were metalheads basically like all the metalheads at Glastonbury had clearly just, turned up so you yeah, could you would wouldn't you yeah exactly so there was loads of pitting there was crowd surfing there was moshing but it wasn't quite as in well it was very much not as intense as a proper metal crowd but it made it for a nice atmosphere because there were some people dancing some people just kind of like looking at it not knowing what the fuck was going on and it was outside and the, the area, that area of Shangri-La is really cool it's got all these kind of like protest banners and art that people have put up for you know saving the environment and you know all this perfect messaging all around the what? perfect setting for them yeah exactly and it just it was really it was just so nice and heartwarming seeing them in a slightly different slightly different place because it and it, and it really feels like it belongs it feels like a place where you've got like every other kind of music cover and you've got all this mad shit like my mates went to see a guy playing a didgeridoo on the Thursday night do you know what I mean like there's all sorts of shit there it feels like you should be able to be at a festival like Glastonbury and stumble across something so heavy that you've got no reference point on it and maybe it'll win you over because that's how we've all got into music I you know? agree as well none of us grew up with napalm death in our headphones it's about that element of discovery and as we you know, use stuff like Spotify and YouTube and it more and more tailors our playlists to our preferences and that's great because you can find more things you love but 
that accidental discovery and coming across a world you didn't know existed or a song you didn't know existed or a band you didn't know existed, that is still so important. So having actual physical live events where people can do that is a great thing. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it was really nice to see and I'm, and I'm fully behind it. And, and Glastonbury is very much not for everyone. It's insanely big. It's really busy. If you find yourself in the wrong area, you can end up in a mad kind of crowd march full yeah. of, you know, pillheads or hipsters or, you know, it just kind of depends where you end up. But but I really love it and I definitely think metal belongs there. And I think, um, I, I think it can exist there without being tokenistic. And I also think it can exist there without diluting metal's capacity to put on its own festivals and stuff you know I don't think Download's going to be greatly affected by no. five or six metal bands getting booked for, for Glastonbury I mean Download had one of the best lineups ever this year yeah, and there exactly. was still room for Kajira and Venom Prison and Employed to Serve and Baby Metal to go play somewhere else uh, so yeah I'm all for it and it was really really good also a brief shout out to Dave um, the grime rapper for having the most metal stage set of the whole weekend he literally just had a giant skull on stage <laughs> and that's all uh, with a kind of backy screen of visuals and it looked amazing it was so simple but it looked so cool so I very much enjoyed that so yeah oh my voice has gone croaky I went to see two of those bands oh, as well this week uh, you saw, saw Gajira first on Sunday was it? I did they were both uh, they had Gajira. a much bigger stage show than they did when I saw them yeah they the did it. it was incredible um, I didn't know what to expect it's, it was sold out which is cool but obviously they are off cycle at the moment I think they're working on a new record so it's almost like a little bit of a strange time to it's like have a victory a lap isn't it when yeah I mean, it is a bit like a victory lap but also you're just kind of thinking you know like um, what kind of stage setup they would have but it was just incredible um, first of all the music started and the floor just filled with smoke. So when they actually came onto the stage, this, there was basically smoke like right up to their waist and all these lights like all over the stage. It just, bricks, it just looked amazing. It was super, super theatrical. Mm-hmm. Um, they played Ouroboros and they just had CO2 jets and like all these lights and they had fire pretty early on. I can't remember which song it started on, but they just kind of came on and it was just that, the reaction was just, whoa. It was just... Phenomenal! It was. It's really difficult to describe. Um, it was a really hot night as well, so it was just kind of this crazy, intense, hot show. Uh, Backbone they played uh, pretty early on, I think second, and that was just right. earth shattering. Like those riffs are huge. The cell again was massive, and that's my favourite Gajira track from the last record. And again, just super, super intense. Um, they had a the stage that was really cool. They had another level on the stage, which basically had Mario's drum kit on it, right? And uh, another mic stand up there, so Joe could go up there as well, um, which was kind of nice because he was running around the stage a bit more than he usually does. And they had a screen of projections on the back that kind of came around in the circle to the front. So they had all these amazing visuals projected onto the stage and then all these layers and layers and layers of lights and then all this CO2 and this fire. So it was really like an assault on the senses and it really makes you think because, um, you know, if you go back 10, 20 years ago, we talked about this before, bands didn't really have that much of a production. You just got on a stage and you played music. And there's a level of expectation now that if you're playing a show, especially somewhere like Brixton, which is... 5,000 capacity venue and uh, not only 
an achievement for a band in metal, also often seen as kind of the stepping stones to Wembley, to festival headlines, etc. People kind of expect you to bring production, mm-hmm. and um, what they brought was like an arena show in wow. Brixton. It was super dramatic. And you can tell they're having a really good time. I'm actually quite surprised by that. To, to bring that Matt stage show out for what was only a few English dates, especially because they couldn't even bring it to Glastonbury. So I think they were filming it for a DVD. Ah, uh, okay. So I think they put extra effort into it, and they'd really spent a lot of time on the production. And Joe was amazing. He's really good as a frontman these days. I mean, he was good anyway, but now he's really interactive. He was talking to the crowd. He was getting people to scream. He was running around. He was kind of going up onto the level with Mario, and he just looked like he was having a whale of a time. <laughs> Fuck's sake. <laughs> Had to get a whale put in there. Um, uh, yeah, uh, the thing about the production as well. <laughs> you didn't make it sound like a, a stern BBC News headline when you a said A whale of a time. He's <laughs> having a whale of a time. Stop saying it! <laughs> but the thing that was so great about the, the production is not only did it really just grab you immediately, it was so well timed. So they were playing the shooting star and they just had a confetti shower right in the middle, completely unexpected. Fucking love confetti and metal. But it's one of those so things good. where. You might play a show and you might have one aspect of production and it might be confetti and you finish your last song and the confetti cannon goes off at the end and you go, oh, that's nice, and you go home. But it's just one of these things where it was just another big surprise. You're like, what? And it just timed so perfectly in the song. So when they're playing these amazing riffs and Mario's drumming, all the confetti just gone up to the ceiling and was just pouring down from the roof and it was like this amazing kind of hypnotic death metal snowstorm it was just brilliant it was like being in a snow globe of death metal <laughs> with Gajira I just loved it so much like the timing was perfect um, and actually there was so much of it that when I was at baby metal last night it was all over the venue still so they obviously haven't been able to clear it all up but I mean this was a bit gutting for them because they did have so much production and they had spent so much time on it and I think they were filming it they had people around um, you know with cameras out that in the middle of it, Joe came over and he was like, someone has spilled a beer on the lighting desk. And it meant that they couldn't use, like, most of the lights that they brought in the what? special show. So they had, like, they were using house lights and they had... Imagine being that guy. They had just kind of lights fixed in place um, on the stage that were just permanently on. So they still looked great, but you could tell that he was really upset about it because it's a big show there were, that first half of that show was absolutely crushing and it was one of those ones that gives you goosebumps and makes you feel really alive and makes you go yeah. like this is an incredible band like not just in metal but in the world and I know that sounds like hyperbole but genuinely it like sort of grabs you by the heart and you're like the atmosphere was insane the crowd as well the whole time they were just surging forward I've not seen anything like that in years just literally like waves like surging forward towards the front and crowd surface and, and one of the security guards was like totally into Gajira as well but oh, just that crowd was again it was like this atmos- electric atmosphere so you could tell he was upset and that was kind of a shame because it, they did lose a bit of momentum I think because you could tell that they were kind of annoyed about that but they mm. pushed on with it and the crowd was probably a great help because they were surging so much and you know the crowd and the band were kind of feeding off each other and it was it felt genuinely exciting and mm. like genuinely vital and you know obviously we're going to see Ramstein on Saturday but <laughs> it kind of just felt like the gig of the year like it just felt like awesome I was absolutely flawed it was incredible Super incredible show. So honestly, seven good. out of ten. No, <laughs> <laughs> I give it. 
Infinity Wales. Infinity out Wales. Of Infinity Wales. And I also wore my whale necklace because yeah, you know, I was dressed up. You've got a shark necklace on right now and you have a whale <laughs> yeah. necklace. How was, uh, how was baby metal then? Because, um, again, mainly through your stories, didn't it look like they had a particularly big show? No, so it wasn't. The they same. had no show at Glastonbury. They literally just had um, really nice screen vigils, and that was it. It was not the same level as Gajira, Certainly, that was that was another level. I've never seen, like I said, I've never seen anything like that at Brixton. That was a really level show. So, Bay Mail were cool. Um, their production was more like uh, they had CO two and they had fire, so it was still cool, like when it went off. But it was a lot more stripped back than Gajira. Um, they had the cami band at the back of the stage. And it was almost like there was an invisible line. You've got the cami band kind of at the back that didn't ever come forward. And then Baby Metal at the front, who were always in their formations in the centre of the stage. And obviously we should say as well, Sue Metal, obviously the lead singer, Mo Metal, and then there's a... Yes, the mysterious third person on stage. That was a Glastonbury as well. member of Baby Metal. Um, people have been calling her Riho Metal because she's from an idol band in Japan. She's, she's very well known. But she's currently, her status is... A veteran of the scene. Exactly. Currently, (laughs) her status is that she is a dancer within the baby metal formation in the baby metal world, but she's not an official baby metal member. So... Official. Is that the official line? That's the official line. From the fox god himself, delivered through his emissaries to me. Because I've never met him. Okay, hey, baby metal's PR. (laughs) (laughs) Shout out, Adam. Just because you don't like the fox god. (laughs) Um, but yeah, they came on to Megit soon, which is cool because that's kind of a classic now. Um, you know, you can kind of forget they've actually been around, you know, when they played... Uh, Five years. Uh, yeah. There you go. Good match. when uh, Give Me Choco came out. Um, so they kind of feel, um, you know, like they have been around. They are a bit more established now and they do have a back catalogue to play and they came on to Megit soon. And Rio Metal, as I'm just going to call her, not an official member, she knew all the routines. There was nothing out of place. She's been in the band for six days at this point. And what? Yeah, six days. That's how long she'd been. Wait, so was Glastonbury her first performance? Uh, she also performed with them in Japan. Oh. So they did two shows in Japan, back to back, flew to England and played Glastonbury. So they'd had like a super packed schedule. And I don't know how they keep going because they have a lot of energy. But Rio knew all the routines. Um, she looked like a total pro. She felt very stage school in that she's very professional. There are lots of smiles. She, you could tell she, you just could put her in a room, teach her a dance routine. She'd probably learn it in like a few hours. She was just super on point, basically. Uh, Mer and Sue Metal still kind of do look more like they are baby metal band members. There's more of a kind of fluency to their movements and uh, more... It's hard to put my finger on, but you feel like they're band members. Like, they just kind of do it and... We're well, they're probably not having to remember it. They're just... Exactly. I mean, they've been doing some of those dance routines for, like we said, five years now. So. But I don't think it's so much <coughs> that. It's more like... Yeah, she felt more kind of stage schooly and like she was doing a performance, whereas Moa and Sue do feel sort of like real band members in inverted commas. You know, yeah. it is a different kind of band to what we used to, but it feels more authentic. <clears throat> so, but you know, it was good to have the three of them because it meant they could do all the routines, and um, you know, that was amazing to see. Elevator Girl, that sounds massive. Yeah, it really brought home to me that they get these really talented songwriters. You know, they keep it a mystery, but they are songwriters who are professional songwriters who've produced a lot of hits and it just sounded really massive it's a really massive song uh we talked about ind metal as it was in the set list 
really cool that Bollywood vibe how they're fusing kind of those styles and cultures and even if you're not into baby metal you can never say they're a boring band you know they come out no, with these a few new people songs would say that. Uh, Papaya <laughs> as well that also sounded really massive that's got um, a turn in from a Thai rapper that he's got a guest spot on it so they've got you know they've again they're mixing all these different styles and um, they're just not boring they're just doing all these different things that you don't expect when you know there's a new baby metal song it's not just like oh it's gimme chocolate again it's mm. like oh this song's got a guest rapper in this song's influenced by Bollywood this song has got like a really insane hook in it there's something in each one that just makes it really unique and actually I thought gimme chocolate sounded a bit quaint now it kind of almost does sound a bit dated like that was the band five years ago uh, they had a couple of interludes probably to do their hair and makeup and kind of have a drink and come back on because you know as I've water said before, I should clarify as well <laughs> yeah, drink of water get beard up as I've said before it's as amazing how much they are able to do all the dance routines or you know do everything they do yeah that energy is exactly. out of control that is what I'm trying to say uh, the Cami band who obviously mentioned I think they've all got fake long hair now as well I'm not sure who's in the band now but I don't think they all have real metal hair I think they've got like wigs and masks on um, I, I'm very curious to see who those people are but we will never know uh, again the crowd there a different crowd to what Kajira were um, but they were screaming there was this guy behind me I think he was in his 20s and he had someone with him who looked like maybe he was his dad and I can't remember which song it was but he turned to his dad and he said oh that made me a bit emotional and he was like legitimately really? yeah and it wasn't I don't think it was like an emotional song particularly it was like just one of their hits but there's that again there's that massive devotion from their fans if you're a baby metal fan you are going to bat for baby metal 100% you are going to scream your heart out you are going to buy the merch yeah of course the merch was limited to two designs per person probably to avoid disappointment for people yeah how did um, Sleep Token go down did you catch them didn't actually catch them which is a real shame because I would have loved to but we were on some super secret hammer business so I didn't see them to be revealed later Uh, karate still rules Um, oh cool and I've almost finished. Are you looking at me like I'm going on about Baymill, which I am? It's but like that. they, the one was really good as well. They had Sue do that on, on her own, like come out and sing most of that. And her voice was actually good. And you could tell she was singing. It wasn't like a tape or anything. So she kind of had a bit of her own spotlight. And yeah, it's just cool. They've got a bit of a back catalogue now. And they've announced a tour for next year which is their first UK tour which is really funny because I've seen them so many mm. times now in London and at festivals I kind of forget they haven't actually done a UK tour and they're playing um, in London they're playing at the Hammersmith Apollo nice so I guess you know they did the Wembley show but that was to launch Metal Resistance yeah and it was a one off and it was a one off show so that was really cool but they're sort of doing going the touring route now where they'll be building up the fan base around the country in the hard piles yeah exactly and like going up venues and they're going to tour in the states as well in their biggest ever tour I think it's a month and a half so they're kind of doing the work now of getting known and um, you know releasing more music and really nailing it and there's so much more confidence than they used to as well um, even just watching the routines it feels more like they know what they're doing and they're into it and they, just, they can just do it so yeah I'm, I think there's more exciting things to come from them Absolutely. it doesn't feel like just a one hit wonder it feels like actually something with legs and that album Metal Galaxy is it called? yeah Metal Galaxy Metal Galaxy uh, could be out later this year so exciting times in metal across the board um, speaking of which I feel like Alice should talk now yeah 
Hi. What's been going on? Still here. What's been going on in the world of metal, Alice? Tell me now. Well, um, Slayer have released a mysterious new teaser trailer with um, Danny Trejo. What is that about? We have. Have no we all watched idea. it? Read us the We've dialogue. We've all seen it though, right? Read us the dialogue. Where is it? Oh, sorry. I thought you had it. No. <laughs> <laughs> it's you. right under the bus then. Read the dialogue. It's it's a a silhouette um, uh, digging a grave while Danny Trejo does some narration over the top right. Can I read the dialogue? It's really good. The dialogue's really good. They say... You have to do it in the voice of Danny Trejo. To every story, (laughs) there is a tragedy. Life is a book filled with chapters. Some tell stories of a good time. Some tell stories of the dark. To every monster, there is a hero. To every nightmare, we all wake up. To every story, there is a final chapter. Some monsters become human. Other monsters reap for revenge. This is the end of the monsters. Well. Don't know what to make of that. No. More, more US dates? <laughs> <laughs> Give me a... And, and you, I, mean, I mean, people are speculating maybe they've got a final album up their sleeves. And we do know that there's unreleased material from the World Painted... Uh, not World Painted Blood. What was the last one called? Repentless Yeah, they've uh, said, said there is... Material. Um, but they could have actually just jumped back in the studio of course we don't really know that but it says coming fall 2019 that's autumn to UK listeners interesting <laughs> <laughs> yeah so I've got another interesting tidbit for this uh, I am friends with um, Jessica Pimentel on Facebook who won our um, uh, Spirit of Metal Awards at the Metal Hammer Golden Girls last year uh, start of Orange is the New Black and has her own band of course um, she posted this video now, I'm, I might just be really into too much of this. She might just be excited about the uh, the whatever this is going to be like we all are. But um, she, she said, I've been biting my tongue for so long. Thank you, Slayer and Nuclear Blast, for this. Um, and then she's hashtagged Slayer, Slayer and the Crusher. The Crusher is what she calls herself. Yeah. And hashtag Jessica Pimentel Music. And then hashtag Orange is the New Black Metal. So I'm wondering if she's involved in this as well somehow. Because what it, that's yeah, what, what that suggests to me. Music and she's Why would you hashtag Jessica Pimentel music over something that Slayer put out? Do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, there's definitely music that isn't there. So the plot thickens. What a Slayer up to? Either that or her band is supporting them on some kind of show or talk. Ooh, yeah, that's a good yeah, that's a good shout. That's a good shout. But then Danny Trejo is gone, yeah. Sorry? Danny Trejo as well. Maybe it's something like yeah, why is Trejo involved? South American or something. Oh, are we not even something something obvious? Bit. Maybe because she, she's a, literally an actress. Maybe it's... And he's an actor. Maybe there's some kind of weird Slayer film. Mm. Ooh, yeah. Oh, maybe, maybe her and Danny are in a new Slayer video. Yeah, it could be that. Interesting. We, have, we genuinely have no idea, but we shall try and find out. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what happened there. Uh, Phil Anselmo has suggested Down could reunite for the 25th anniversary, well, for some 25th anniversary shows. Uh, Talked about getting Kirk Winstein back in the band as well for it. How do we feel about this? Are we just done with Phil now? Would we go to a Down show? Oh, it's really hard. Like, I was hanging out at the weekend with the guys from Underside, the Nepalese metal band, who are really awesome, and they've been here doing um, shows. They played that show with Whitechapel and Download. And they went to see Phil Anselmo last Saturday, and he's one of their heroes, and they want their photos taken with him. Played the underworld, didn't they? Yeah, and they're all like super, London. super excited. And I was like, oh, I find it a bit difficult to know what to do now because of sort of, you know, 
where he had to apologise for doing the white power gesture and uh, it's just really hard isn't it like I was just talking to them I was like you know don't really know what to think and they're like we just love him like we just love his music it was so exciting to go there and you know because he's one of metal's heroes isn't he so yeah and, uh, and just part of one of I mean you're talking one of the four, five, or six most important metal bands of all time. Exactly. Um, but you can't really ignore his bullshit either. And, uh, yeah, it's a funny one. I don't, I don't know. I, don't, I mean, I still listen to Down sometimes. I can't really remember the last yeah, time I went to listen to a Down album, but sometimes it comes on the mix, and I'll be like, yeah. Uh, sometimes yeah. I put it on, and then I just... Because I've just forgotten, and then in the middle, I'm like, oh, now I feel problematic. Yeah, <laughs> it's hard, isn't it? Like, it's the same with... I mean, obviously, a totally different and horrendous example, but it's the same with, like, Michael Jackson or anyone who's kind of done bad things or has just become a problematic figurehead. Um... I think there are just, a lot you, you, you kind of have that gut reaction to music that is then yeah, followed exactly. by your mind going, oh, exactly. but wait a minute, what were you going to say, I think there are a lot of problematic people in rock and metal. There are. And the history of rock and metal, and they just got away with it for so long during like the 70s and 80s and even 90s. And like now it's a lot more sort of transparent. Mm. Um, but these people are still like you know, treated like they're really, really, really important, which they are. But um, I just think we have to sort of distance the art from the artist at the end of the day. So you would be, you would be, you know, you would, uh, would you, would you go to a down show? You a down fan? Yeah, I've seen down. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen I've seen down, but I'd really that was like since go, he I'd really like to went out saying white show. power shit again. Yeah, I'd, I'd really like go. to go to a down show. I just feel guilty about it, probably. Phil Live is a mixed bag as well. I've seen him be pretty good, and I've seen him be not so good. I when I saw down, they were amazing. Yeah, I've seen him be. But. Yeah, actually, I've noticed down. I've always been pretty good when I've seen him. Actually, to be honest. Mm. But um, yeah, I don't know. I don't think you can force people to not listen to stuff that means something to the them because he said some anyway, dumbass so. shit. But or you square it with your conscience in some way, and obviously this is total like middle class guilt. But you donate some money to an anti racism charity and go and see down. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe just you know. throwing it out there. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's an interesting idea. Um, you can donate money to charities anyway. You can, Merlin. Go yeah. do it. Which we all enjoy doing. <laughs> Glad we cleared that up. Uh, what else is going on? You're looking at me. Yes, I am. Stop doodling pictures of ice cream onto your fucking podcast plan. <laughs> <laughs> I like ice cream. Alice has got a doodle of Ouroboros. Ouroboros. <laughs> How do you say that? Oh, um, you mean... Um, Ouroboros. Yeah, Ouroboros. Is that how you say it? The snake eating itself. Um, Alice has got a like, pentagram and a snake like eating a medieval, its own tail. It's like a medieval. And Eleanor literally has carefully <laughs> illustrated <laughs> numerous different ice creams. 
<laughs> which I presume to... is in relation to a question we've got coming it up is. later. It is. It is. Look, I'm wearing my special snake ring, which is like an Ouroboros, but it doesn't quite meet. I have snakes. <gasps> we both have snake <laughs> rings. Where's your snake ring, Merlin? I want a snake ring. You need a snake ring. I do. Somebody send Merlin a snake ring so oh, he can well. be in the cool guy. I love snakes. What's going on with well, Walsh's sleeves then? I don't know. Lars Taylor's dropped off the rest of Walsh's sleeps as current European tour dates for personal reasons. What do you know about this? I don't know anything about this. I'll just do quotation marks on personal reasons, just so know. you know. I did with my it's favorite. a radio format. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know anything about this, to be honest, either. Um, uh, but yeah, Loz has dropped off the rest of Sleep's current European tour dates. Um, they're going to get in a replacement singer for those last few dates. Uh, I mean, maybe this is uh, like just a one-off thing that's happened, something to do with family, maybe, or just, I don't know, something that he needs to deal with personally. I have no idea. Um, I certainly hope it's not anything reoccurring from old problems with his voice and throat and everything like that because that's something that's really uh, been problematic for that band over the years and I'd hate to see that happen again I'm actually wearing a Walsh's t-shirt right now they've got so much momentum right now as well like you just don't want anything to hold it back they have yeah I mean they've had they've they've had such a bumpy road um, and hopefully this is well hopefully whatever it is isn't isn't too bad for Loz and also hopefully it's something that will just be a one-off because yeah, as you said, a lot, lot of momentum again, and they are a great band. Uh, shall we take some questions from the readers <laughs> from facebook.com forward slash Metal Hammer readers? Uh, who wants to take the most important question we've ever been asked? I've got a long answer to it. Really? Okay. How? How? Alice, you do hey. the question, <laughs> and then Al can go first. Okay, uh, Ben Wilmot asks. Uh, what's your favourite ice cream? Massive well, question. It's a massive Big question. Deal. Well, everybody, I have <laughs> an ice cream maker, which is of catering standard. Oh, my God. Because I'm obsessed with ice Here cream. Here we go. And it's just <laughs> one of my favourite things in the world. So uh, it was a really difficult question, what's your favourite ice cream? So I've had to pick a few options. The first option is an ice cream flavour called Blue Cloud, which was stocked at... An ice cream place. Blue Cloud? Blue Cloud. It was stuck to an ice cream place in the village where I grew up. And it was bright blue. And it sort of tasted like a cross between aniseed and bubblegum and some kind of dark fruit. And it was literally the most amazing flavour. And I was allowed it a couple of times as a treat as a kid. And I've never been able to find it since. And I think it was because it was made up. Because the people who (laughs) ran... Because you just made it up. No, the people who ran the ice cream place, I think, just made this blue ice cream and named it Blue Cloud. I just loved it and I just would love to have Blue Cloud again because it was honestly I think it's like one of the greatest things I've eaten in my entire life (laughs) that's the holy grail of ice cream to me is Blue Cloud so every now and then I'll have a if anyone knows the whereabouts of Blue Cloud in 2019 (laughs) get in touch every now and then I'll see a blue ice cream and I'll have some to see if it's Blue Cloud before you meant out in public like you see someone else with one give me that oh it's not Blue Cloud But that's my dream, Blue Cloud. So good. Um, Another one that is a dream cream is (laughs) (laughs) is a flavour called... Well, it's a cart door flavour and it's banana. Fuck me, how much research have you done to this It's not research, I just really love ice cream. It's a cart door banana flavour. And where I first had it was at a festival in Nijmegen in the Netherlands. Um, I think Why did you say Netherlands in a Dutch accent? Netherlands. Yeah, you didn't know, but you went in the Netherlands. <laughs> yes, I 
definitely did you that. Didn't you? Yeah. It just came out. It was some kind of. Blah blah in the Netherlands. I think I just forgot how to talk. Okay. But I went for Hammer. I want to say it was called Forter Rock, but now I've lost all sense of memory because you've just made fun of it. I actually remember you going to a festival and coming back talking about banana ice cream. Because it was so amazing. and I have that memory ingrained in my brain. Fantastic ice cream, and I found it one time since at the end of Brighton Pier. So there's two places in the world you can get this ice cream, and I've googled it, and I think you can buy it, but only if you're like a caterer or something. So this banana cart door, that is a dream. So they were kind of like flavors. <laughs> Jesus oh, Christ. Christ. Just, let me, just let me say a couple more. And then, <laughs> sort of my generic favorites are probably I've got a few: mint choc chip, chocolate. Dolce de leche and the speculoos. What's ones? Dolce de, de leche? It's like the caramelly. Yeah. Well, that's a flavour, not. Yeah. yeah. Oh. I don't know how you pronounce it, so I probably got it wrong. And speculoos, like you know those biscuits you get in hotels, but now they make ice cream out of them sometimes as well. Uh, I made that myself. This is all so specific. I'm so really I've got impressed. two more things to say. I'll be really quick though. So, also I was thinking about how the ice cream is eaten, like how it's presented. You can have a cone or you can have a cup. But one of the things I really liked, again, from childhood, which you can still get, is when you get oysters, which is a wafer that has a marshmallow inside, and they do soft-serve ice cream in it, so you can barely hold it because it's like an oyster Can you do this cream. much research on the serious questions in future, please? It's not research, it's just stuff in my head. All right, well, like, whatever, preparation. And then my very last one is that I wasn't sure whether he meant, like, ice cream flavours or a pre-packaged ice cream product, and if it's a pre-packaged ice cream product, <laughs> ice cream product I'd probably pick a Cornetto and... A right. Right, that's all you needed to say. Which flavour Cornetto, though? <laughs> mint. Good choices. Oh, wow. I like I'm the not... strawberry one, but oh, strawberry I really too. love mint, mint chocolate chip ice cream because it's just a, like, really Refreshing. easy, like, you know, you always know it's going to be good. It's going to be good anywhere you go. When the vanilla could be shit. Would anyone be vanilla. interested in an ice cream podcast? No. I also love... Um, Vermonster, which is like a maple syrup and pecan. Where are you flavor. finding these things? That's Ben and Jerry's. I've lived. Ben and Jerry's. Oh, Ben and Jerry's, yeah. okay. And then I didn't even get into Ben and Jerry's. And then Ben and Jerry's half baked is. Yeah. Is that one with so half good. cookie dough, half chocolate yeah. fudge? Yeah, that's Delicious. a bag in ice cream. That's the Iron Maiden of ice creams right there. The cool ones with the sauce down the Oh middle. my god. That is I like peanut butter ice creams as well. That's disgusting. We're going to get that. We're going to edit that out. There's there's one um, Ben and Jerry's one, but it would be better if it had chocolate in them, in it. And I did actually message Ben and Jerry's about this, and they did reply <laughs> on Twitter because I was like, it needs chocolate chips in it. Which one is this? Um, it's a peanut butter ice cream. Oh. And um, I also really love raspberry ripple or general ripple ones. Raspberry ripple, that's yeah. a classic flavor. Yeah. It's classic. It's just I'm classic. Um, <laughs> I've just gone really basic. I love a feast. I think that's really boring. Oh, no, it's so satisfying. Because you get this, I love, like, thick, proper chocolate bars, and you just get this big, thick lump of chocolate in the middle of it. So you get, like, the refreshing ice cream that cools you down and tastes nice, and then you get a big slab of chocolate in the middle. It's so good. If you brought me a feast, I wouldn't say no to it, but I'd also say that the chocolate... I wouldn't buy you a feast, I'll be eating it. The chocolate centre's a bit (laughs) cloying. It's a bit like cooking chocolate, and it's quite bristle. No, it's delicious. No, it's not. No, it's not. I wouldn't want that either. No. Uh, that's like a magnum or white chocolate like magnum. I do like white chocolate magnum. I prefer almond the magnum. Almond. Oh, almond's oh, the best one. Oh, so almond or mint. Yeah. Otherwise, magnums can be a bit boring. Yeah, but I like definitely almond magnums. Um, if I'm really hot and I just want to cool down, like Calippo is delicious. Love it. Yeah. Love it. <laughs> They're good, yeah. Love it when it gets all mushy at the bottom of the end. I was going to say that's a bit like a slushy. Yeah. Well. Um, and I recently discovered 
An amazing ice cream. It's a Kinder Bueno cone. I've seen those. Oh my god, they're so Kinder. good. I think I might. We have Kinder. Oh mate. I might go on at lunchtime. Yeah, I'm so, really hungry. They got them in the W.O. Smith in Paddington Station. I'm gonna go get one. I should be getting paid for this. Um, <laughs> but yeah, if you like Kinder Bueno, the, the ice cream actually has that flavour, and it's got this thick layer of chocolate <gasps> on top. Do you know what I've not even so touched good. on at all? Ice cream sandwiches. When yeah, I go to America, good. all I do is eat ice cream sandwiches. The Oreo <laughs> ones I've got here are really nice. If you go to mm. Italy, you can get ice cream sandwiches where it's like a brioche bun. They're incredible. Wicked. Well, I don't know if we've got time to spend that much on all the other questions here, but we'll <laughs> give it a go. You really picked my passion there, Ben. Tom Byrne asks, if you were to be a fly on the wall during the recording of any album, which would you pick and why? Oh, no answers to that. No, I have got an answer. Oh, right, okay. I actually, thought, <laughs> I actually thought I'd sit back and not answer straight away because I just went on about ice cream. Oh, okay, well, I'll, I'll answer know. quickly first. Do I'll do mine quickly okay. first. Um, mine's really obvious, but the first Slipknot album, um, being in the studio with those personalities at... I mean, maybe even Iowa would be more interesting because Iowa's probably the height of their craziness, but what either of those first two Slipknot albums. Um, but the first one, I mean, Ross Robinson was no stranger to... Uh, angsty crazy bands but um, Slipknot must have just been something else entirely and there was stuff Eight getting people as well nine like, oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> come on man well, like... I always do this I don't know why I can't count because uh, I was thinking about Corey being number eight because it's infinity yeah it's fair it's zero um, but yeah that would have been unbelievable um, uh, after reading um uh, long hard ride out of hell I would have loved to have seen uh, Manson recording Antichrist Superstar oh, as well that's my choice have you got that on there yes ok well you, you add more to that then that's my choice so that was recorded February to August 96 and it was at Trent Reznor's Nothing Studios in New Orleans which is super cool I've been there it's now a clothes shop I actually wanted to buy a t-shirt from there but it was a really expensive clothes shop so I just stood outside and had a photo that's awesome but New Orleans is a super cool place anyway it's so interesting like the mix of culture and like religion and voodoo and the buildings and the climate and everything it's just super cool so I think that in itself like, is just an interesting location. And then yep, the whole chemistry like between Manson and Reznor and sort of the tension of how Reznor was helping produce the bands and, you know, sort of package them up in a certain way and bring out different parts of them. But then Manson and his bandmates were so insanely behaved that there became a tension a bit between them and, you know, sort of Reznor having to deal with that. But um, Manson at the time, he talks about in his book and various other places, he was experimenting with different cocktails of prescription drugs. And he even says that he was shoving needles under his fingernails so he could feel something because it was quite emotionally numb. Mm-hmm. So it's just metal. insane. I mean, it's not nice, but I don't know <laughs> what kind of things he was doing. He, he was also doing lots of things like watching hardcore pornography and masturbating and depriving himself of sleep and all kinds of weird things. And I think at one point he said that he had, like, put... Um, a cardboard tube on his dick and a blonde wig and a crown from Burger King on his head and had gone outside and just walked around. We've so all I done that. I don't actually... <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you've never done that to the office, though. <laughs> so I don't know, like... Being you have been here for Dress Down Wednesdays, mate. Being... It's a Wednesday today. Oh, God! <laughs> <laughs> so, like, obviously, Tom's question is if you were to be a fly on the wall. I don't know whether I'd want to be on the fly on the wall actually seeing it, but I'm also kind of curious to see what the reality of that situation was and Definitely. how everyone was reacting. Definitely. You'd probably be a fly on the wall just sort of, like, vomiting. <laughs> 
Alice, do you have any... Uh... Um, any of the Elaine's Daily era mm. Alice in Chains albums. I imagine that could be quite a difficult experience at yeah. some points, to be honest. The earlier ones, maybe not so much. And Alice in Chains are quite fun. I reckon they I would have had say, a, like, a laugh together. Alice in Chains really is a band who had a huge sense of humour, didn't they? Yeah, like, yeah. This is one of the things that I think maybe they get annoyed with sometimes is that people kind of always focus on the drugs and the darkness, but actually, like, they have this chemistry and this, like, sense of fun. And Definitely. Like, any interviews, like, from around that sort of time, they're just, like, really fun, like, kind of piss-taking Absolutely. regular guys, like, just mates, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, so, yeah. about that? Yeah, it would be cool. Um, someone do another question. We've got time. Um, okay, so did Miley Cyrus just ruin metal at Glastonbury? Asks Kurt Gobang619. Not his real name. <laughs> so this is in, this is in uh, response to Miley Cyrus um, coming off the back of uh, covering and adapting Head Like a Hole um, by Nine Inch Nails for uh, the new Black Mirror TV series um, she turned up with Glastonbury looking very rock and roll looking very grungy and kind of 90s rocker and she covered she did the Nine Inch Nails cover and she also dropped in a bit of Metallica as well covered a bit of Nothing Else Matters and she also did Old Town Road which was based on a Nine Inch Nails sample from Ghosts there you go so, has she ruined metal? no, I like <laughs> it I think it's good metal. I think it's oh, good oh, I can have a go you can't ruin it I think it's good having more representation from the mainstream like we talked about before and I think she's cool and I like the Black Mirror episode which I've now watched I don't know, it was but like, you can't ruin metal from outside the metal community anyway like if you want to cover that's metal that's dismantling from within yes exactly <laughs> so no it's just you know if you want to cover metal go for it you don't have to listen to it no I didn't even know it happened until I got back because I was, I was watching metal on the <laughs> instead of like Glastonbury so there there's a follow up question though where do I send a, a letter, a rant letter, to get a feature of Metal Hammer about how salty a lot of the metal community who didn't even attend were about Glastonbury this weekend? And that's from Joe Breeze. So, yeah, Joe Breeze um, has actually sent me this letter. Really? It's about, he has? It's about a thousand uh, words long. And I'll email Joe back. And if he's happy for me to read it out, maybe I'll read it out on the podcast next week. Because it is... <laughs> it is uh, he's got opinions. <laughs> so, he does not hold back, does old Joe Breeze. Um, but yeah, if anyone wants to send a rant to us, you can do it at uh, facebook.com forward slash metalhammer readers. Obviously, that's probably the quickest way for us to see it and respond to it. Or you can email us at metalhammer at futurenet.com as well. So we welcome your rants. Um, oh, don't know if I should have said that now, but yeah. <laughs> What's the worst that can happen? Yay, rants. Uh, uh, Zach Wells has a question about the podcast itself. Um, it's quite an interesting one. He says, why is there a time constraint on the podcast? I know you share a studio. Uh, on it that you think it's a professional studio. We're actually <laughs> in a meeting room at the moment. Uh, but hopefully that could change moving forward. We've got some stuff coming up. Um, is it really that busy? Obviously, I realise that you're all busy people. However, I feel like the pods could benefit from more studio time. Well... Um, yeah, I mean that's a fair question. I guess a lot of podcasts. Yeah, I mean a lot of podcasts out there will run for like two and a half hours, three hours. Um, we definitely don't have time to do that. Uh, obviously, the podcast is something we love doing, and it's an important part of Metal Hammer. But it's one part of many roles we have here, 
Um, I'm editor of the magazine. Al's deputy editor. Uh, Alice is online editor. So we've all got a lot of shit going on. Mm-hmm. And of course, um, you know, we do share. Uh, not just podcasting space, but just meeting space as well with a ton of other very big magazines. You know, Classic Rock work here, uh, Prog work here, uh, 442 work here, Tech Radar work here, um, Guitarist work here, Total Guitar work here. Uh, we've got a lot of other big brands um, who uh, who all, you know, want space and want to do their own things as well. So we don't want to hog up too much space. But, um, you know, where possible, we will always try and get a bit more time in there, especially if we think there's a lot to talk about and a lot to go through. So, yeah, we'll certainly think about that. Hopefully we're getting some more, even better, better mics as well. So we are looking to do more stuff on the podcast. Me and Alice get hangry as well. Yeah, we can't do it over lunch. (laughs) We're doing over lunch right now, aren't we? I'm so hangry. Oh, God. We need to finish. We need to move on. (laughs) Someone do this last question. Why no ice cream? Someone do this last question, then. (laughs) Fuck! Just a random childless loser from TJ asks, with the anniversary of Slipknot's debut album in mind, did you guys immediately think this band of absolute maniacs was going to be successful? Did you have any initial doubts? I was a child, so... (laughs) (laughs) I actually did have some initial doubts. Did you? I was also a child, but I was a slightly (laughs) older child by a couple of years. I didn't get into them until Iowa, so I was... People around school, like younger people at the years below me, started wearing hoodies and being moshers and listening to Slipknot. And I was kind of like a bit, oh, this is a bit silly, isn't it? Like, it's just people sort of yelling. <laughs> You're and... so mature for your time. I mean, <sighs> I wasn't. fucking dire over here. But I was just a bit like, oh, you know, it sounds a bit like, oh, I'm mad at my parents and stuff. Um, yeah, no, then... I, I was a bit like that. But I was into other... to, like, new metal for that very, no, very I was into, reason. I was into Linkin Park, I was into Limp Biscuit, but... Um, that, yeah, I, that's I, not juvenile. But I mean, I think it was literally just a, a culture Linguistic. thing, and I say culture in a very narrow sense of the word. And the fact that I like listening to those bands, and I saw them as part of kind of this wider world I was getting into. And Slipknot, I think, just because it was like the guy, the boys in year seven with their hoodies being children, and I was probably like, I don't know, year nine or something. Can't do the maths. But I was a bit like, oh, you know, this is like just um, I don't know. It was just I felt like. I think when the record came out, I wasn't even aware of it until a couple of years later anyway, but I was like, oh, a bit like all these kids are getting into Slipknot. And I heard Iowa, and then I started getting into them a bit more, and then I just kind of gave into them and went, yeah, it's actually good. So I think at the beginning, I thought it was just a bit childish. Mm-hmm. Um, I was only a teenager, like I said. Like, what year was that debut on Mar? It's the this year, isn't it? So, yeah, so I was not like massively old or anything, but I think just because the kids like a couple of years below me were sort of wearing the hoodies yeah. see like there weren't many because I was like in year 7 or whatever or like just before then it probably came out but like I don't remember well there were kids in my year that liked new metal and started wearing like um, big trousers <laughs> pretty much I mean that was like the mosher thing love them big jeans yeah but I mean I uh, but like, well. yeah but they weren't really into Slipknot it was actually I think it was like a couple of years older than me, weirdly, which would probably be your age that were listening to like Slim Not and Corn. I would have been like 15 or something. It was like, yeah, it was like year 8 and 9. I remember girls in like year 8 and like 9 wearing like specifically corn more than Slipknot, but I do remember one girl who had like a Slipknot hoodie and stuff. I think that's the thing, I think I didn't really know about them until I was a couple of years older, and by that time I was like, 
late teens and it just seemed a bit childish I don't know but I was wrong wasn't I so I can admit that now mm. <laughs> I think hearing something like people equal shit I was like oh that's just really childish yeah I mean it, and I it really, is and I, and I, and I, I still I know, sometimes got, you know like because I love people equal shit it's like my second favourite Slipknot song yeah. after Eyeless if you must know I still I catch like, myself singing that sometimes and then you do stop and think this is ridiculous at the time I was just like this is really childish but then as I got into more heavy music and just kind of suspend I just suspended that sort of like snobbishness I suppose I was like this music is just really good music and these people have this really good energy and they're doing all these shows that are really capturing people's imaginations it probably wasn't as articulate about I just that. didn't really <laughs> see past cool. the fact that they had like horror masks and horror videos and stuff but I that again really actually seemed quite it. childish at the time to me it was a bit like oh you know whatever just putting a mask on but she then, got Marilyn Manson by then yeah probably mm, interesting <laughs> it just seemed like a different kind of thing I think like I said with younger people getting into it but then I was a teenager so I was contrary anyway uh, yeah, I, and, I, then I, and then I started like I said I started listening to them and then I just all kind of merged into it and I sort of understood the metal scene a bit more and understood a bit what it was all about and then just kind of liked it so I actually found them too heavy when they first came out because I'd been into me- I mean when did that when did I, I come out I found them too heavy as well I probably came out about nine or ten months after I'd properly got into metal so I guess I hadn't gone into the really heavy stuff by that point so much. I was just a bit like... Oh, I mean, just left behind the full songs and being like, oh, fucking hell, this is a bit intense. But I remember that too. I think that's what I thought. Oh, they're just like mad at their parents and like just making some noise and I just was just like, I don't really know what it is and changed my mind on it. Yeah. I mean, once I properly got into it, I was like, this is actually really good. And then I actually remember going and buying the Digipack version of the, I, the self-titled album. Digipack. And oh, was just funny. like, oh my God. Yeah. Like, especially with that opening of... Um, sick like the little yeah. drum and bass drop and stuff is just like oh I my borrowed god borrowed Iowa from the library I swear that is Iowa that's what I'm talking about um, but yeah it's just one album one album 20 years old fucking hell eee. we'll be back next week <laughs> <laughs> when we review what was that the second biggest metal gig of the year we had Metallica at the first now we're at the second biggest metal this gig of the year this is the I gig I'm most excited about this year it's going to be mad we're I'm talking really about Ramstein in the home of metal, Milton Keynes. It's going to be ridiculous. <laughs> uh, yeah, we'll be reviewing all the show, all the pyro, all the weird little things they're no doubt going to do on stage. It's going to be very, very good. Don't forget that the latest issue of Metal Hammer is out right now. We've got Sabaton on the front cover. The regular edition comes with a free tank and free Sabaton stickers and, and a free, uh, free Avenged Sevenfold poster pack. The special bundle edition, which we launched last week, and we've still got a few of those on sale. Not many, though. Uh, they, those come with the Sabaton tank and the stickers and the signed, hand signed by the whole band uh, lyric sheet uh, and an exclusive patch you can't get anywhere else so if you need um, more Sabaton in your life or you're a big Sabaton fan you cannot afford to not pick this up go to tinyurl.com forward slash battle bundle to buy it right now it's really good they're Thomas. actually playing Sabaton before Baby Metal came on last night really? yeah nice, nice. <laughs> synergy I love it <laughs> We'll see you next week, everybody. Thanks for listening. See ya. Bye.